Bring it in. Read Option Podcast back January 11th. We are recording the 12th, 13th, 14th by the time you're listening to this. And uh, we get the full crew, at least for a little bit. Uh, Vito is is on his phone in the airport right now. In what city? Where are you right now? Dallas? I'm in Dallas just trying to get, you know, on the ground intel on what's going on with McCarthy tell- in the coaching spot. But we'll see. Yeah, tell him we'll the fuck off, too, while you're at it. <laughs> Go pack, go. <laughs> I wish there was like a horns down equivalent for Cowboys fans. I would do that all the time. Stars down. Yeah, I don't yeah, know. Stars down. Go, but... I wish you could do like a star thing with your hands and like point that down. Uh, doesn't work as sle- seamlessly as horns down. Um, but yeah, so we have at least have the full crew for a little bit. Scotty's on, Vito's on from the Dallas airport. How's the Dallas airport, by the way? If you were to power rank it, like rate it on a oh, this scale. Is top five. This is, is top five airport. Oh, yeah. I mean, when you talk Terminal D, you're talking the, the Capital One Lounge. It's my favorite lounge in all of America. Um, it, but it's massive. You know, like, if you have to go to a, it's it's great. Yeah. If you have to go to a different terminal from where your connection is, you're screwed because you got to go well, in the no, middle. It's the one of those. The, the trains, two minutes every time. I'm telling you right now, I fly a decent amount around here. I, I'm a big fan. <laughs> I love this. Vito just has people looking around at him like, is this dude recording a podcast right now? It's the commitment to the game. That's what I love about Vito. He commits. Um, But the reason that Vito uh, wanted to be on despite normally with this travel stuff, he wouldn't make the effort. But um, boys, days like today in the last 24 hours that we've had, 24 hours plus that we've had, these are the days that as a content person, like when I worked on ESPNU, um, you know, you have these big mega moments, right, in sports where just a bunch of shit hits the fan and you just feel so lucky that you have any sort of platform to go on and talk about it because it's the same conversations that pretty much every football fan in America has been sending the same texts to each other. I know I I was in at least five different group chats that had texts about all the moves that have gone on here in the last couple of days. Um We've had some some big some big changes here in the NFL. So we're going to talk about all the coaching stuff. Uh, obviously, between Pete Carroll yesterday morning, leading into Nick Saban announcing his retirement, to now uh, this morning on the 11th, Bill Belichick being announced that he and the Patriots have parted ways. A lot has changed, and it's the end of an era. But these these are the the most fun content days because it's time where you can read off insane stats. Uh, but you also get to kind of look back and reminisce on some of the, the you know the best who have ever done it, um, and and Belichick still intends to be coaching from everything we've heard so far. Pete Carroll is going to remain with the Seahawks organization uh, in an advisory sort of uh, position, so it seems like he's taking a, a massive step back, obviously, but he's still going to be around that program. And uh, good old Nick Saban, not sure what the future holds for Nick Saban. Could be TV, could be you know, future commissioner of college football. Uh, you know, you never know. There's a bunch of things that can go on. So Vito, while we have you, cause we, I have a feeling we're going to lose you here um, at some point in the next uh, 20 to 30 minutes. I want to kick it off with you brother and just take us through the reaction from that you had as, as our resident football historian that you had from each one of these big announcements, starting with Carol yesterday morning, going all the way through, because it, it really does feel like the end of an era for three coaches that we always comment on their age and how long are they going to do it in different capacities. 
um, national championships, Super Bowls, all of that have been in the mix. So take us through your reaction to each of these guys, and then we'll kind of jump in and, and we'll get it from Scotty and myself here in a little bit as well. Yeah, man. So, you know, we'll start with Carol because that was the first one. I think to me, what was crazy is that I moved to Southern California in 2000. So I was there during like when I was growing up in football, the high school quarterback for my high school, Carson Palmer, went to USC, ended up having success. Right. Like so he was always around and he was great. Goes to the NFL, wins the Super Bowl. It's very rare to win at both levels. Right. That is not easy to do. I mean, you're talking three or four guys who've ever done it. So, yeah. Uh, like that, that is just amazing for him and, and the longevity and the identity of his teams. Like when you think Seattle, you know, you know, they have an identity defense, the long corners, the press, you know, Cam Chancellor, you think of all those guys. Um, and then at USC, Reggie Bush, liner, the whole offense, everything. It was crazy. So, um, you know, he's had his incredible career and it felt like, okay, this is like someone else I know calls him the grandfather of football, which is, I always make fun of him for, but it, right. Like he's just that kind of guy, but he's so energetic. I was kind of shocked to see that. Um, then when you move on to Nick, I think that was the biggest shock of all of them. Uh, I think I can speak for all of us. I don't know about you guys, but yeah. for me, seeing Saban, I was at a bar for a happy hour for work, and everyone in the bar, everybody, turned to the TVs and was like, whoa, what? Everyone gets to their phone, starts reading, like, is this real? Crazy to see all that. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, we're just we're just waiting to see, like, you know, is this real? It is. Now, all of a sudden, we have to deal with, like, what does this mean for college football? What does it mean for Bama? What does it mean for all the other coaches? I mean, there's really odds out for who's going to replace them. But in history, I sent you guys this stat. It's my favorite stat, and we all have them, to your point, from today. But my favorite one was Nick Saban at Alabama had 44 first-round draft picks. He only had 29 losses. So he had 15 more first-round draft picks than losses. And if that's not success, I don't know what it is. So you talk about, you know, just the best college coach of all time. And then you move right on to the best NFL coach of all time, you know, right up there with Paul Brown and Bill Belichick. So to me, like we lost, this is the end of an era when you're talking about, I, I haven't, you know, had a day to, to think about this, all of us average parts of a day. And to me, we're talking about an era change in college. It's with NIL, it, the, the portal, all that 12 team playoff and the NFL going to 17 games, expanding the playoff a few years ago. You know, uh, and then having a guy like Bill leave, who's been there for 24 years. Um, you know, Pete was one of the longest tenured head coaches. We're, we're losing, you know, the quarterbacks of our generation have already gone. So this is a big moment, I think, in the era marking of like, oh, yeah. You know, like I could see 50 years down the road, they go back to this point. We talk about like the Super Bowl era for stats. I could see it going back to like this point in time or very well around here in college and in the NFL talking about stats and everything of like, the most wins in this era, the most whatever in this era. Um, so that, that's what I see it as, a huge historical moment where, again, in 40, 50 years, we're going to be talking about this as a defining moment in both college and the NFL. Yeah, it's it, it the, so I love when you said that about the Saban thing too. Keep in mind, his first year at Alabama, they went seven and six and they lost to Louisiana Monroe. Right. So and and I I believe I'm correct in saying that I don't think he had a single first round pick from that first team. So if you just take the last 16 years, that number still says at 44 uh, first round picks and then only 23 losses comparatively, which is just an abs absolutely absurd run. 
um I, so I think it was uh, NCAA, the NCAA, like their website put out a really fun article and they just listed off a bunch of his, you know, achievements. Uh, 117 home games at Alabama lost eight of them, 109 and eight at home in 16 years. Uh, 127 unranked opponents that they played only lost four times. Uh, Alabama led it half 187 times and uh, under his watch only lost nine of those games 36 and 14 against top 10 opponents since 2008. Like you can just, nice. you can just continue to go down one after another, but my favorite stat about Nick Staben. And and to me, I think it's the one that, that truly epitomizes how brilliant he was Uh, during Nick Saban's time in Alabama. Every single player that played for four full years at Alabama won a national championship. If you went to Alabama and you stayed for four years at any point in the last 17 years, you won a national championship. And that is the epitome of consistent greatness. In an era where college football was changing so significantly, left and right, right? And that job was so close to going to Rich Rodriguez. And instead, they decided to go with Bama and he built up a complete powerhouse that evolved over time that changed from having you know the greg mcelroy's and the aj mccarran's and the blake sims and these quarterbacks who were never really great nfl players i mean shout out aj mccarran still around kicking it he played on in week 18 but you know overwhelmingly you know we're talking about a pretty small you know, a, a subset of guys throughout that first few years where it's like the quarterback was the reason why Alabama was so good. The quarterback was never the reason. It was the defense. It was the running. It was the offense and defensive line. It was all of that. And then out of nowhere, he went on this run of Jalen Hurts, Tua Vailoa, Mac Jones, Bryce Young, and then that, then into Jalen Milrose, which was the second half of this remarkable, remarkable run. And, uh, yeah, it's. I'm so curious to see where he goes uh, mo- moving forward. What do you think? Um, what what were you, what was your reaction to the Belichick thing? I mean, I you know we've talked about the Belichick stuff. We, it's been a hot topic of debate on this podcast going back to what we whenever that Germany game was it was I think the first time yeah. that I really said I think this is going to be the end. You guys didn't think it would be. I just it was one of those things where it's just like I don't know. It feels like there's enough reporting out there that seems to kind of back this up, kind of reading the tea leaves a little bit. Um, it's the end of an era. It's not the end of Belichick. He's he's still going to coach. He's going to get another job here at some point in the next week or so. It's going to be weird seeing him on the sideline of another team. Uh, he's 15 wins away from breaking Don Shula's record. And uh, yeah, I mean, it, it seemed like it was kind of expected, but at the same time, you know, we go, you go a couple days past black Monday and you think, man, we haven't heard anything only to have this morning the bombshell kind of drop on us. I mean, yeah, for, for me, the Belichick thing, I was a little more um, that hit me the hardest of all three. I think that's like a defining, like since I've watched football, he's been there. Yeah. And that's like, I don't, you can't say that about any, anywhere else at all, college or pro. So like that is a defining moment and, and really you know, it was a weird thing when they did the whole press conference. I watched it and it was just very amicable, very like you can tell that both Robert Kraft and him were both. They both said 
separately. Like we set out expectations that were extremely high and we exceeded all of them. Yeah, like going to 10 Super Bowls, winning six. Like that is the best dynasty of all time, in my opinion. Well, it's right up there with it. I, I, I don't think you compare errors too much, but they're right up there, right? Especially with free agency and salary cap and all of this stuff. Like the Steelers in the 70s had it a lot easier than these guys. So I, I think it's a really fair point to make where like being the GM as well, right? Like doing all of this, negotiating all of the contracts himself in the offseason. It's insane. Oh, we're, we're getting the airport voiceover. We got, we got some boarding. Yeah, so you guys go ahead. <laughs> uh, Scotty, let's go to you. Your, your reaction to the Bill Belichick news. Yeah, well, Vito nailed it too. This, like, he, with the salary cap and, and everything, there was supposed to be none of this in the, especially in the early days where they were winning in the early 2000s. He won in an era where you're not supposed to win that consistently. And it, it sucks like that. I mean, it's good for football that there's more parity. There is, but like, for him, the way he did it, the way that he constructed teams, the way that he coached teams, the way that he was able to draw the the best out of players. Um, a guy who goes out and is like, uh, Randy Moss might be on his last leg. Let's go take a flyer on him. Here we go. Uh, oh, yeah, by the way, he leads the, the league in, in uh, receiving that year. Uh, yeah, that's that's the NFL and, record. And, yeah. And yeah. 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 So... Um, you know the the idea that he can go out and and see that and 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 not only be the best at, at the GM level in, in that regard, building that team to what it was to make a dynasty, and but being the best coach on the field to draw the best out of those players that he brought in uh, and or drafted. It's I like I I'm not even a Patriots fan. I I always dog them because it's like all right enough with the fucking winning guys. Um, but like it sucks when you see the end of greatness like this those were the good old days bud i don't yeah. know what to tell you like you're I, never gonna see anything like this again especially in, in including saving too and i think it's and i want to get your thoughts on saving too scott i didn't mean to gloss over you i just want no, to make yeah. sure we got all the stuff out of Vito there before we had to let him go um the, the belichick thing to me is is to your point there scotty like everyone hated this guy like absolutely hated him right because this is what we do with sports. We talk about this all the time, right? We build people up and tear them down. But there wasn't really much of a buildup with Belichick. It was kind of like people just hated him. You know, I, I kind of equate it to like Roger Federer. You know, when Roger Federer stepped in in the tennis world, his first big you know, moment on the scene was winning Wimbledon against Pete Sampras, who was U.S. guy. Everyone loved Pete Sampras. He was the number one player in the world. And who is this Swedish guy who's coming in here and 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 upsetting, you know, Pete Sampras out of nowhere? Like, that's so weird, right? And Americans hated Federer. I mean, really big tennis nerds always appreciated him. But then as time went on, and then you had the, the Roddick versus, you know, uh, Fed era, where it was like, man, we can't get the American in. Because at the time, like, tennis was still a pretty big American sport. You know, we were coming off of the 80s and 90s where, you know, tennis was big. You had a lot of big names. You had your McEnroe's. You had guys like that who were really, really popular world athletes. And Fed just caught a lot of flack. You know, I just never, I never liked him because I was a big Andy Roddick fan. And really? Then, yeah, I loved him. And but then I love Belichick, so maybe that's, I don't know. I don't. But so the thing is, I think after a certain amount of time, we all, like a lot of people kind of turned on that, right? 
Because when somebody is that good for, for that long, you can't dog the dude anymore. And we see it all the time in sports. We see it with the, with the guys who are some of the best with the dude. LeBron, I think, like, don't get me wrong, people still get annoyed with LeBron's antics, you know, left and right. But it's LeBron, dude. Like, no one's sitting here saying, like, LeBron, you know, LeBron's overrated, LeBron's this. If you're doing that, you're just a fucking idiot. You're a troll, you know? And, and I think with Belichick, the thing that I think really sucks about the way that the beginning of his coaching career started when he was in Cleveland and then the way that it end it's kind of ended these last five years without Brady is there's going to be a lot of people who look at this and just go, well, it's all Brady. Look at his record when he didn't have Brady. Right. And to me, that's just complete bullshit. Right. I mean, don't get me wrong. He hasn't been great the last few years. I think that relationship, there's a lot of ups and downs over a quarter century, 24 years coaching in one place, working 24 years with the same ownership, the same boss, the same people. Shit's going to happen. And whether it was deflate gate or spy gate or the, the way that Belichick was ready to move on from Brady and Kraft never wanted that to happen. There was always going to be a little bit of bad blood, but at the end of the day, I think there was a mutual respect and understanding. There's going to be a lot of people who go out there and try to claim that, hey, Belichick did nothing without Brady. Brady went on to win a Super Bowl without Belichick. The Patriots dynasty was because of Brady, not Belichick. And the way I've always viewed it is that neither one of them is as successful without the other. You know, they both needed each other to be as good as they were. Belichick got the best out of Brady. When Brady first came in those first three Super Bowls, they were not, he was not the best quarterback in the league. He wasn't really that close, maybe in that top 10 fringe, but he was a game manager. He let their defense go out and win it. Once you got to the mid 2000s and on, yeah, it was Brady's show, no question. And Belichick's job was to keep the defense together until that 2019 Super or 2018 Super Bowl, the one against the Rams. That to me is the thing that cemented Belichick because if you recall the the Rams played unbelievable defense in that game right it's one of the lowest scoring Super Bowls I think it might be the lowest scoring Super Bowl in the history something yeah I think it was even lower than that um it was a really really low scoring game and what the Pats defense was able to do to stop that Rams offense which that whole season was just unstoppable force it felt like right that they just could they could put up points on anybody you had Todd Gurley young Cooper Cup young Robert Woods Aaron Donald just about to hit his prime right like that offense seemed like it was no matter what you did it didn't matter they were going to put up points and they walked in and there's some amazing stories about Belichick and and the coaching staff walking in Super Bowl week on Radio Row, some behind the scenes stuff where you're like, hey, this isn't for air. But like we knew that was going to happen. We knew because Belichick had us ready. Belichick had the perfect game plan and we knew we were going to hold them to no points. And they damn near did. They damn near shut them out in that game. 13 to three. Thank you, Scotty. Yeah. Right. They held them to three points in that game. Right. And what, what was one of the most unstoppable offenses that defense came in and Belichick coached that defense up and put the one of the most brilliant defensive performances in the history of the Super Bowl to win that game. Right. And that's the year after giving up 41 points to the Philadelphia Eagles the year before. Like, yeah, to me, and, and that's. To mention, yeah, go ahead. And, and I was going to also throw in there like everyone talks about like you see those clips of him coaching up Malcolm Butler during the week leading up to the pick against like Russell Wilson and all that. Like he like, don't give him credit. And I think a lot of guys, Ninkovich was on McAfee show earlier. And one cool thing he said is like, everyone thinks this guy's a defensive coach. Dude, he is a special teams, defensive, offensive coach. He's been in the league so long. He's dealt with everybody. 
Like he's seen it evolve. He gets it literally from the sixties, 49 straight years of coaching in the NFL. Wow. 49. Like, I think he knows what he's it's unbelievable. doing. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, nearly half a century of coaching in the NFL. I mean, that is, that is truly like truly spectacular stuff. And I, I think Belichick, you know, as, as we move on to whatever this next effort is, this, this new adventure is going to be whatever team it's on. I, I, I don't know if he's going to get the 15 wins he needs to get there. I, I would like to actually see him have success somewhere else. I want him to get some of that vindication that, you know, I think he deserves because in my eyes, and and I know he's not the winningest coach yet, but he is the best coach in the history of the NFL, you know, and, and people will want to try to take that because people don't have to have too much time on their hands and they go into social media and they say stupid shit and they don't know what they're talking about. Belichick is the greatest coach in the history of the NFL. He's done it. Period. Period. Yeah. You don't even yeah. have to explain it. It's just he is. His resume yep. is better than anybody else's. It's it's truly, truly unbelievable what he's been able to accomplish. And there's no question that Brady's a part of it. But I say this all the time. Like it so much of coaching, so much of football is just dependent on what you have. You know, if you're a coach, you can if you, it's the the old chef analogy, right? If you give a chef really shitty ingredients, it's going to be a lot harder for them to make a gourmet meal out of it, right? And if you give a bad chef amazing ingredients, it's still probably going to turn out like shit either way. And it's vice versa, right? You know, if if, if it to me, it's I look at like the Saban years in Miami, right? People always want to hold that against Saban as we've been talking about Saban on this pod too, right? They were this close to signing Drew Brees. If Nick Saban has Drew Brees as his quarterback instead of Dante Culpepper, we could be talking the Alabama uh, run may have yeah. never happened. I mean, yeah. talk about one of the like wildest, you know, uh, what's the the butterfly effect, right? Like one of the craziest I- examples of that is what if the Miami Dolphins get Drew Brees, right? And he's with Nick Saban. Does Nick Saban become not only a coach that won a national championship in college like Pete Carroll? And then go on to win a bunch of Super Bowls in the NFL. Do the Dolphins and and that rivalry between Saban and Belichick get really, really heated in the AFC East? Like it could be a totally different experience over the last 10, 15 years if they decide to sign Drew Brees instead of Dante Culpepper. We obviously never know that, but so much of coaching is about what you can do with what you have. And there's never been a better coach in the history of football, college or pro, who's been able to do more with less than Bill Belichick. His ability to find guys, your Julian Edelman, your Kyle Van Noys, your Rob Ninkoviches, right? Wes Welker, all these guys. Who- Even Gronk, nobody was talking about Gronk whenever he came up. Yeah, I mean, Gronk had uh, incredible college stats, but between the injuries and the partying and his reputation and all that stuff, people didn't want to take a chance on him. And Belichick did, right? And again, turns out to be arguably the greatest tight end in the history of football. Uh, so, so, so much of it, man. And Again, it, it takes it takes a village. It takes a whole team. You know, you had Skarnecchia, you had Ernie Adams, you had all the guys that had their Bill O'Briens and Josh McDaniels and, you know, go back to the early days with Charlie Weiss and Romeo Cronell. Like there were always these guys that had their fingerprints over it, but so much of that was Bill. And even when Bill was in Cleveland, like if you look at the guys who were on that staff in Cleveland, it's not just Nick Saban, who was his defensive coordinator. There was a bunch of really good coaches who came from that. And all of that is because Belichick 
has been so amazing at it. And I think the biggest criticism you can probably hold against him over the last few years in the post Brady era is he hasn't done a great job of hiring those guys because he doesn't want to retrain guys. He wants to bring in guys who know what he's doing. And that kind of comes with old age and trying to figure out the future. And they want to keep the Patriot way, the Patriot way. But when you're talking about all time sports runs, this is up there with Tiger Woods, you know, late 90s through 2010, you know, 10, 2012. It's up there with Jordan. It's up there with Michael Phelps. It's up there with the greatest of the great who have ever competed in any sort of professional sport. And he did it from a perspective of which I think can be even more difficult in a lot of times. The coaching perspective, you know, he's not on the field. He's not making the plays. It's his job right. to be 100 percent dependent on the people that he's coaching up and teaching to do these things. And it's such a credit to him, uh, you know, him, Saban, and and obviously Pete Carroll too. Um, unbelievable. I have a fun question for you guys. As we have these three legendary coaches, I would say arguably, like if you were to rank the top three coaches since 2000, college and football combined, would you rank these three? Wow, combined. Saban and Belichick, uh, I think yes. Carroll's the only yeah. one, but if you're going, if you're talking about longevity, going back to 2000 to now, I think those are your three. Yeah, I I wouldn't disagree with that, and you'd be hard pressed to find uh, anyone. I mean, the only other name I can think of right off the top of my head is throwing Andy Reid in there. Yeah, um, but he didn't do it at both levels like Carroll did. So I I would even give Pete Carroll the edge there. Um, so. Man, yeah, I, I that that would be my three, I think, because it's, because they that, that's all they did. Yeah. <laughs> they built and they won. That's I mean, two two national championships for Pete Carroll, a Super Bowl, two Super Bowl appearances, three national championship appearances. And what I love about the Pete Carroll story, because I don't think we've we we Vito touched on a little bit at the end, and I, I want to get some Pete Carroll thoughts out there as well. I know this is a little bit of word vomit, but frankly, that's kind of how it's felt over the last like twenty four hours, where I'm like. Haymaker, 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 and I'm like trying to make sorts of it all. The the thing that I'm really, you know, I I respect so much about Pete Carroll is like he was an Pete Carroll was an NFL guy. You know, he's he started in college. Came up he with was, the Niners too. Yeah, and so he started with the Niners. The he, he moves to the he moves to college. He was the defensive coordinator, uh, defense coordinator, defensive backs coach, one one of the two at Ohio State. He actually ended up getting replaced by Nick Saban early on in their careers and kind of played jump rope with the NFL in college for a lot of parts until he finally lands that job with the Patriots, right? And he got laughed out of the league, man. Full-blown laughed out of the league, which is just not something that a lot of guys have ever come back for from. And when they hired him at USC and, and that awesome USC documentary, uh, the 30 for 30 about the Trojans, that whole era, like Pete Carroll – was not a popular hire. Most people hated that hire who were USC fans. And then what he turned them into was the most dominant college football program we had had until Saban's run, right? Especially of that modern era when you're talking mm -hmm. about 2000s on. I mean, it was that was the team and era that made me fall in love with college football at a, at a young age, or at least like enjoy college football, was watching that national championship game between USC and Texas. And obviously that doesn't go the way, but three consecutive national championship appearances, back-to-back -back titles in 02 and 0, or is it 03, 04, and then they lost 04, in 05, yeah. right? So 03, yeah, 04. Oklahoma in 04 in the Orange Bowl, I think it was. Yeah. 
And then back-to-back Heisman winners, Matt Leiner, Reggie Bush. I mean, like some of the stuff you hear from those teams and, and how loaded they were, Dwayne Jarrett and Lendell White and and it's some of the guys on the defensive side of the ball. Same thing with that Texas team. Palomalu. <laughs> yeah, Palomalu. Well, yeah, because Palomalu was there when, when he 014. first took over. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that that to me is so incredible that he was able to make that jump from the Patriots where he gets laughed out of the league to then go to college football and never change. Right. Like if there's I know I know you're not a you, you hate Los Angeles and you you hate Seattle. Right. So USC and yeah, I respect the, <laughs> and the Seahawks. Yeah. Right. But the one thing I look at about <clears throat> Pete Carroll that I have so much admiration for is like he always did it like his way. Like he never did. He never let the, the what the outside world change the way that he viewed like being a head coach in the NFL or yeah. in college football. He was authentic to himself from the time he got his first head coaching job until the time, you know, literally yesterday where he was no longer a head coach in the sport of football anymore. And that is such a rarity, right? And it's one of the things that you hear a lot of players talk about. It's like you can sniff that on a coach in the very first meeting. You can sniff it on them if they're not authentic or not. Like you, you, you need to be yourself and nobody was more themselves than Pete Carroll. And I think he deserves so much credit for that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and too, like, I, I think you heard a little bit of that in the, uh, in the questioning after the, uh, <clears throat> after the statement where he was like, I fought like hell to like, try to still be the coach here, but uh, you know, we agreed on this and, and that's just fine. Yeah. Um, he's a gamer, and, man. And, yeah. And I, I don't think he's done coaching truthfully. I, I think if, so, if the right offer comes along from an NFL team, um, that that is looking for a coach, I think he jumps on it and says, you know what, fuck this advisor role. Like I'm going to, to I'd be coach because that's what I love doing. I'd be curious. Uh before we lose I would Vito, love to see Yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say I, I would love to see them do like these three guys unite. Belichick is the uh like head coach slash GM kind of. You have Pete Carroll do all the media I and mean, you have Saban just coach defense. DC. Oh baby. Anywhere. That'd be amazing. Um the before, super coach. Before we lose Vito, I, I want to ask you guys this question. I'm a jet wave, for God's sake. I know, literally. He's walking all on the plane <laughs> like right now. Um, so before we lose you, though, Vito, I, I want to ask this question. If you were a uh, a recruit or a high-profile draft pick right now in the NFL, which of these three guys would you most want to play for? Probably most want to play. Oh, man, Belichick. You just got to go with the best. I think Pete Carroll will be the most fun, but I think you want to be the best. So, Pete Carroll. All right. So, we got one vote for Belichick. What about you, Scotty? I'd say Saban, man. I read his book. That dude knows how to get the absolute best out of you, however it is. I know Belichick's good at that, uh, great at it, uh, like we said, but uh, there's just something about Saban where if he's looking me in the eye and talking to me like a man, man to man, I'm going to be like, yes, sir, to just about everything and be a sponge. You know? Yeah. Um, I I have the same answer as you, Scotty. I was torn because I just, you know, some of the stories that have come out, uh, I think Jimmy Graham shared a really amazing story about Pete Carroll when he was playing for him in Seattle about, you know, Jimmy Graham tore his ACL or, or had a really bad injury when he was there. And uh, he gets out of the hospital at like two o'clock in the morning. And the first thing he sees when he walks out of the hospital uh, and like down to the main lobby is Pete Carroll and Pete Carroll's wife. No one else on, no one else from the team, no team doctor, no players, 
You know, it was like him, his wife, uh, Pete Carroll, Pete Carroll's wife, and like Jimmy Graham's wife. And that was it. Those are the only people who were there. And like that to me is just such a high, like the character of Pete Carroll to me is something that like, I just, I hold at such a high level. But to me, the thing that have made the all, all three of these coaches great, particularly Pete Carroll and Nick Saban, um, you know, particular and, and thinking about the college angle of it is they have an unbelievable ability to connect and resonate with people from all different backgrounds, from all different ages, from all different, you know, maturity standpoints and find ways to connect with them. And we see these versions, you know, Pete Carroll's fun and chewing his gum and very animated on the sidelines. So we always kind of think, oh yeah, he's probably super fun to talk to. The way that people talk about Saban, you know, we see the media Saban, the one who's grumpy and, you know, curmudgeonly and doesn't want to deal with all that bullshit kind of stuff that we see about Saban. Saban knows how to connect with people and, and his players will literally die for him. Like his players love him in such a way. Cause I think he has an unbelievable ability to connect with people um, from all over the place and all different age groups and all different backgrounds and demographics. And you have to, you have to, to be able to sustain the level of success that he did in a sport like college football. So to me, it's like to be behind the lines, like Nick Saban to me is like a cross between Belichick and Carroll. And I think you get, and you add a little Southern accent and you get Nick Saban. And so I would, I, I would love to play for a dude who's definitely hard nosed old school, but also has a good sense of humor, you know, and, and gets along with everybody. But I mean, you couldn't go wrong playing for any three of these guys, but that, no, that question absolutely. popped my mind. Cause it, I think people would have very different answers across the board. Um, as did you, you know, uh, did you yeah. see the question about like which of their all time teams of their players in their prime would win? So you take Ooh. all Saban's players, he's coached all of Belichick's, all of Pete Carroll's. So Pete like, Carroll gets like prime Reggie Bush, even though you know what I mean. Prime, like, like NFL though, Russ. because like NFL Reggie Bush wasn't that great. Like he would, would you would you put him or Marshawn? Both. Well, talk about that one too. That's How about interesting, that though, right? Jesus. <laughs> You you would take thunder you would take Saban's right? defense like, though because Saban's, Saban's all time defense yeah. would be absolutely absurd. Like so would Bills if you count Lawrence Taylor. Mm. Oh yeah, good point. But then that then that kind of blurs the. I think it has to be as a head coach. Okay, all right. Because sure. because then it's like Saban like Saban and Belichick could both pull guys from the that Browns team. <laughs> you know. That'd be so fun. We'll have to maybe maybe next maybe next week we'll uh we'll go through and we'll pull that out. But yeah, man, we're off season earmark yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> an old an old producer buddy of mine posted a tweet that was really clever. And it was like in the last eight years and listed off all the people that have retired, and it was like our entire childhood is gone. Like it's let me see if I can pull it up because the list is 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 truly like. Truly amazing when you look at all of the people that we had, um, you know, in our lifetime who are now completely gone, you know, and and I, I'm super fascinated to know, like, who the replacement is for all these guys, you know, like who's replacing Belichick, who's replacing Saban. Um, but here, here's the list. In the last eight years, Nick Saban, Coach K, Roy Williams, Jay Wright, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Kobe, Carmelo, D. Wade. Jeff Gordon, Dale, Jer- uh, Dale Earnhardt Jr., Albert Pujols, Big Poppy have all retired. The last remaining few, we have LeBron, we still have Belichick, Ovechkin, Crosby, 
And that's that's pretty much it. I mean, Federer's gone from that list too. Uh, Rafa's hanging around. Serena Williams is gone. Uh, you know, Tiger's still hanging around a little bit. You know, we'll see. We'll see what he's doing here. I mean, he looks good. Tiger looks good. I don't know if you guys saw the four play video of him out driving. Uh, oh, him out driving rigs from his knees. <laughs> it was unbelievable. That was oh. incredible. Yeah, dude. Yeah, before you take off, Vito, check check that video out on uh, YouTube. The four play guys over at Barstool, <laughs> they do an awesome job. Um, but yeah, man, it's 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 crazy. We are we are officially old. We are officially now where. The guys who were, we were in elementary school, middle school, high school, college, grew up watching into our young adulthood, into our thirties for uh, for Scotty and and Vito. Yeah. You're coming up on that too. Like we are, like we are officially and, past it. And when we tell you, like every season that you've been with us, folks that are listening, when we tell you toward the end of a football season to savor it, th- this is what we mean. Like week in yeah. and week out. Yes, that's one thing, but like. We're never getting back what we just had for the last twenty plus years. Yeah, it's a new it's a new era of sports, and that's how my buddy shout out Ryan Ballack. That's that's how he he put it. It's like the new era of sports is here, and once once LeBron's gone, I think that'll be like the official like full pass off of the torch, and we'll be into the next era. But yeah, when you just think of that, the last eight years, all of these people we grew up watching, idolizing um betting on probably at some points too like for the fact that they're all gone and uh and we're all you know getting another year older it's a great point scott because it is it's these are you never know how many how many times you get these all-time guys and it's even if you don't like lebron you got to appreciate it while what he's doing at this age to still be performing at such a high level you gotta appreciate it man because it is it is special it is cool man and uh yeah, losing losing all three of those guys today from the football world. Not, I mean, it is funny. I saw a bunch of people being like, "You guys are talking about this like they're dead." All they did is retire. I'm like, "Fuck you, dude." All right, we we love football. Their football journeys are well, not Belichick's, but at least Carroll's and Saban's. Like, their their football journeys are ended. All right, we're allowed to be bummed that we're not going to see Nick Saban and Pete Carroll on the sidelines anymore, and the, that the Patriots dynasty and stuff is no longer there. Like, we're we're good. You don't need to be the hardo guy on Twitter. Yeah, let us live our lives. Yeah, okay? find find something better. Find a better angle. All right, uh, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. We got a preview of Super Wild Card Weekend. We might have Vito for a little bit of it to at least get his picks in there. Uh, and if not, Vito, it's always great to see you. So uh, we'll take a quick break. We'll be back on the other side. We will preview Super Wild Card Weekend in the NFL. Super Wild Card Weekend. Not your Not your mother's. Not your father's wild card weekend. This is super wild card weekend. That always cracked me up since they made that change a couple of years ago to to calling it when they super added wild. Two more games. Yeah. yeah. It's like, whoo, <laughs> man. I thought it was fun before, but now it's super. Uh don't love that. They should just have they should get rid of the Monday night game. It should be three games Saturday, three games Sunday. Amen. But I'm what you. are you gonna do? We at least have Saturday uh morning and Saturday early afternoon open to uh to watch some sports and uh, we got two games Saturday, three on Sunday. And then we close out Monday night. We start off with the four 30 PM game Eastern time on NBC, the Cleveland Browns traveling to Houston to take on the Texans. The Browns are two point favorites in this game. I forgot how hard it is to pick playoff games as I was looking at the spreads earlier. 
Uh, I'm excited for this one. I think this has a chance to shape up to be one of the best <laughs> games of the weekend. Uh, and, you know, I know Deshaun Watson's not playing, but maybe there's a little revenge factor there for the Houston Texans. What a little nice fuck you that would be to that organization. Um, but at the same time, I think we're all kind of rooting for uh, Joe Flacco there. So uh, let's dive into it. Browns, Texans. Scotty, how are you feeling about this one as we go into Super Wild Card Weekend? I think this is going to be one of the games of the weekend. When we start talking to you guys on Tuesday, we're going to look back at this game and be like, holy shit, what a game. Um, you know, it's it's got that type of feel. Um, I, I'm interested to see. I know Denzel Ward had just come back. He got injured in practice today, uh, which sucks uh, for, for the Browns defense. They They really need him, especially like where C.J. Stroud struggled was with those tight man coverages, right? In the little moments that we saw him struggle in his rookie year, it was against tight man, which you're going to need when you got cornerbacks in the pass rush coming at you that the that the Cleveland Browns have. Without Denzel Ward, if he doesn't play or if he's not 100%, it's going to be a little bit more difficult. Um, but I, I just love I love what C.J. Stroud's doing. I love what that offense is doing. I think they're going to be able to to continue to run the ball a little bit, but through the passing game, I think is what, what you're going to, I mean, this, I don't know what the over under is off the top of my head. I usually put it on our, on our sheet. Um, 44 and a half. I'm hitting the over. Like I'm pretty sure this game is going to, going to be let it fly um, between CJ Stroud and, uh, and Joe Flacco. Um, but home dogs are 18, 10 and one since 2002 uh, in the, in the wild card round. Uh, Texans are a two-point dog here. Texans and Bucks are two of the four teams uh, all time who haven't covered uh, a, a game against the spread in the wild card round. I think that changes here. I think the Texans at home in the Loud House in NRG Stadium, which just hosted the national championship game, uh, are going to be uh, uh, that's going to be a big factor too. So give me CJ Stroud and the Texans. I love them. Okay. All right, Vito. What about you? I'm going Cleveland, man. I think that it's pretty awesome to see what they've uh, what they've been able to do, and I think the hot streak continues. It's just fun, and I got to go with them. I like it. I'll, we're getting our flight in, uh, instructions here in case anything happens in the plane. Make sure you pay attention to that veto. It's very important. Yeah, I know you don't you don't fly a lot, so first time flying, you want to make sure you really pay attention to that. Uh, I'm I'm leaning towards the Browns in this game. Uh, to me, it kind of comes down to a couple of things, right? I think the Texans' offense has that big playability. Denzel Ward being a huge part of whether or not the Texans are going to be able to move the ball consistently to Nico Collins, whether or not they're able to push the ball down the field. Um, but to me, I think this comes down to a couple of things. Primarily, how do the Texans handle that defensive line, right? If Miles Garrett's going to be able to get after CJ Stroud, I think that's going to be a really like that's a this is the best defensive line that CJ Stroud's ever played against in his career, right? We're still talking about a rookie in his first playoff game going up against Miles Garrett, Sedarius Smith. You're going up against a really aggressive defensive coordinator and Jim Schwartz. I think they're going to try to do everything they can to put pressure on to CJ Stroud. Now, if Denzel Ward is not fully healthy, that could help counteract that a little bit. You get your hot reads going. Maybe you hit a, on a couple of deep shots to kind of stretch this game open a little bit. So from that perspective, it makes me want to lean the Browns. The one thing I would say that concerns me about the Browns, and this is the ultimate question with them, is how long does this Joe Flacco run continue, right? At some point, you know, we've seen games this year where Joe Flacco has turned the ball over multiple times. And it hasn't quite mattered because they've been able to run the ball consistently and their defense has done a really good job of forcing turnovers. So I look at this game and I look at Joe Flacco and I say, hey, can Joe Flacco 
protect the football? Is he is he going to be able to hit those deep plays? Does Kevin Stefanski have enough trick plays up his sleeve, play action, that stuff that they love doing there in Cleveland to help scheme some of these guys open? I think they will. I think this game is a little bit closer than people think, but I think the Browns end up winning by in that that three to five point range. So I'm going to take the Browns here minus two on the road. I think the defense is going to be a little bit too much. Um, but I, I'll say this. I expect Stroud to struggle a little bit, but I don't think the moment's going to be too bright for him, right? We've seen him go up against really, really, you know, in big moments in, in college uh, and even a couple of big moments. But, you know, they struggled to move the ball in the second half of that game against Indianapolis, and this Browns defense is a lot better. So I imagine we're going to see, uh, you know, Cleveland really turn it up a notch here as they're, you know, stay alive. And I'm, I'm going to take the Browns here to win this game to cover it by two. Uh, all right, Saturday night, the Peacock game. Miami Dolphins at the Chiefs. This line has bounced around like crazy. Uh, it's been as high as like seven and a half. It's been as low, I think, as three and a half. Right now, it's settled in at Chiefs minus four and a half. The Dolphins battling a ton of injuries right now. Their defensive line is not the same. Xavier uh, Howard's still banged up. Van Ginkle, who's been one of their best defensive players, also banged up. Uh, to me, the Dolphins' chance to win this game is a little bit surprising to what most people would say is if they're able to run the football, I think the Dolphins have a very good chance of winning this football game. Devin A. Chain right now averaging over eight yards a carry as a rookie. He has been phenomenal when he's been healthy. But to me, the thing that's going to keep that engine going, that offense really explosive and dangerous is whether or not we get Raheem Mostert, right? No Jalen Waddle in here, so you're going to get your Tyreek Hill reps. He's also a little bit banged up. You have some weapons in the passing game, but when the Dolphins are running the ball at a really high clip, that's when they're at their most dangerous. I'm not sure if they're going to be able to do that against this Chiefs defense, who is one of the best tackling teams, really strong at linebacker with Bolton and Gay. Uh, and obviously you have Chris Jones plugging up the middle there. I think this is going to be a tough game. I'm leaning towards the Chiefs, but four and a half is right there in that Vegas zone, and that's a dangerous spread to touch. Vito, where do you land right now? Dolphins, Chiefs. This is a back and forth for me. I'm going Chiefs just because Dolphins haven't played well against anybody that's in like made the playoffs last year, winning record, all of that. I think their defense can do enough, but this is a toss up to me at this spread. But I, I, I am going to go with the Chiefs. I think the Dolphins are going to keep this close, though. Yeah, I think this is where experience wins out, especially in a home game, especially given the weather. Uh, you know, almost every year it seems like we're talking about can the Dolphins? They're great, but can they run the football? in january and so far they've been zero able degrees to. yeah <laughs> with the wind chill it's going to be below that uh even i, I would expect there's there's going to be like 20 plus mile an hour winds there uh on the plains of the uh, of the midwest in kansas city um yeah i just i i don't i don't see them being able to run the ball as effectively as as they had they had a tough time doing it against the bills defensive line last week which uh which kind of bricked up themselves and sort of loaded the box and took that away and forced Tua to make uh, plays, which turned into turnovers, uh, which has been sort of the uh, the mo uh, for this uh, for defending this this uh, Dolphins attack uh, so far this season. It's gonna be tough. I mean, Tyree Kill revenge game. He could go off, but like you know, there's been games where you let him go get his 120, 125, and two touchdowns, and you can still win the game by shutting down the run. Um, I think the Chiefs are able to do that with that defensive line that they've got, the second level. And I think uh, Legarius Sneed and those guys on the back end uh, are going to be uh, are going to be just fine, uh, helping cover Tyreek and uh, and uh, Jalen Waddle over the middle. Other than that, they don't have a ton of weapons. They really don't. 
and it's going to be it's going to be all on Tua. So if Tua can prove me wrong, fine. Uh, I'm cool with that, but uh, I'm going to take the experience here with, uh, especially in the home game, especially in the weather with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I I've kind of flip flopped. I'm right now. I have the Dolphins penciled in here to cover because I just I think this is going to be a close game, and I think back to when they played earlier in the season. You know, the the Chiefs go up to that early lead. The Dolphins come back. They keep that game close. And if it wasn't for that fluky play at the end of the first half, uh, the Dolphins would have had a very, very good chance to come back and win that football game. Uh, I, I Part of me feels like the Dolphins are kind of broken as what we've seen from the last two weeks. And this to me is like a bet on do I think the, Dol- and the, the Dolphins haven't really shown up in a lot of big games this year outside of that Cowboys game. But what we have seen is we've seen them be able to run the ball against teams that have good run defenses. They can kind of run the ball on anybody. And I think Mostert's expected to play. You're going to have A-Chain in there. Uh, I think this game ends up being closer. And and honestly, a lot of this has to do with less faith in the Dolphins' defense and more uh, doubt when it comes to what the Chiefs' offense has been. I still think they're going to struggle, especially in that cold weather, weather, to catch the football. They've been struggling to catch it all year, even in good weather. I would imagine that stretch is going to continue here. I like the Chiefs to win I think it comes down to a field goal, though, at the end. So I'm going to take the Dolphins here plus four and a half. I don't like it. It's kind of gross, kind of a risky play here. But I'm going to go with the Dolphins plus four and a half uh, to to cover this spread. And and if they win this game, I wouldn't be surprised because I think offensively, even in the cold, I think that I think they're a team that's weirdly enough kind of built to actually be pretty good in the cold. And uh, I think they're going to do all right here in this game. So I'm going to take the Miami Dolphins plus four and a half. Uh, up next, Steelers at Bills. The Bills are a 10-point favorite in this game. Seems like a lot of points, if I'm being totally honest, for a Bills team that has not looked great the last three weeks. We know they had their resurgence. Yes, they've been winning games, but it's a lot of points. The Steelers without T.J. Watt, that is a big loss for them. Uh, I'd be curious how many points T.J. Watt would be worth if he was going to play in this game, what this spread was look at. I, I'm Seven? Or that's what you think the spread would be, Scotty. You think, oh, Scotty's got the mute on. Yeah, I think the spread would be a touchdown if he were in this game. I don't think it's three points. I could see it maybe at a half point, maybe a point, get down to that nine territory just because you never know. Um, The question here is, like, are the Bills going to turn it on? Like, is this going to be like, all right, cool, the Bills are going to have all their problems solved? Uh, Because this feels like a classic trap game where people are going to be like, oh, no TJ Watt, Mason Rudolph. The Steelers team, I don't know, man. The Bills are so much more talented. They're going to cover this easy. It feels like people are going to kind of fall into that trap, and I kind of like the Steelers right now. I'm not sold yet, but Vito, you're leading Bills. Tell me why. I think it's just because T.J. Watts out. I don't trust Mason Rudolph. He could easily have a terrible game against this Bills defense. They've come together well. They've pressured the quarterback well. They've stopped the run well. I just could see this being literally a 20-3 to game, and the Bills yeah. win by that. And that's why I think ten, it's a lot, but I don't. I just have zero faith in the Steelers' offense, and less than most. And I believe in their defense, but TJ Watt's gone, so I'm just taking the Bills on both sides of the ball. That's why I think. And in, in, in all honesty, like it's nice that Mason Rudolph had some success, but I'm also kind of rooting against him. I don't know why the, the Miles Garrett thing still sticks in my head, and I think it's just funny. I don't yeah, it's funny because we have these games every single year in the playoffs in the wild round, wild card round. We have big time blowouts. It happens every single year, right? There's always a game or two that you're not expecting that turns into a massive blowout. Um, and this game could be it, right? You don't see a lot of ten point spreads in playoff games. 
the one pause I have is just how weird this year has been in terms of parody, right? In terms of, you know, randomly everyone thinks one thing about, oh, this team's going to clear it out. And it's just, this has been a year of parody outside of like the Ravens and the Niners at the top. It kind of feels like everyone else in the, in the playoffs is kind of at that same kind of level, you know? So it's hard for me to feel like this Bills team is going to cover that many points. Um, Scotty, where are you leaning? Uh, this game is going to be a heavy run game, right? Gusts of 60 miles an hour wins they're talking about. So you asking Mason Rudolph to throw a whole lot. I don't think you're going to, but luckily for the Steelers that they've been able to to run the ball almost 50 times a game over the past three leading up to the postseason. I believe in that and that method of Steelers football more than I do uh, the the bills to, to be effective rushing James Cook and like, like if you want to rush Josh Allen 43 times, go ahead. That seems stupid to me, but like go for it. And what you're taking away with those wins is some of the downfield passing attack that they've had. Granted, they've gotten a lot better uh, with some of the shorter passing game and getting yak out of guys like uh, uh, Shakir, uh, for example, who you can take balls to the house like like none other. Gabe Davis getting down the field uh, on yak too. Um, <clears throat> I think some of that gets taken away. And then unless you're going to lean on Dalton Kincaid and uh, – and Dawson Knox, which I think that offense is fully capable of in controlling the the ball. I just don't see it because what what worked for them when they started this run was how effective James Cook was in the running game. And if you're going to ask him to pound the rock 25, 30 times, it's, it, I don't think it's sustainable. I think it's more sustainable with the tandem backfield uh, that, that Pittsburgh has and the way that they've been running the football. I like the Steelers to cover the 10 in this game. I'm going to go with you, Scotty. Uh, you convinced me. The other thing too is James Cook has had a few of those like heart, you know, your heart skips a beat kind of plays where the almost fumbles, the fumbles out of bounds. He's fumbled a few times as well. Those questions of like, is he going to hold on to the football? Is there going to be a massive turnover late in a big moment? Uh, the one thing I would say, if you're rolling with the bills is like, if anybody has the arm strength to throw in that kind of wind, it's Josh Allen. For sure. So, you know, that Howard's there. And if you got the wind at your back, you know, you'll be able to throw the ball deep still. Um, but I'm with you, Scotty. I think this is going to be a lot of running. I think the Steelers are going to try to ground and pound their way to stay in this game. And uh, I think it's going to be it's going to be really interesting. Uh, all right. So that was Sunday, one o'clock. This is Sunday, four o'clock. Packers at Cowboys. Interesting history with these teams in the postseason. Right. And it's been a lot of Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers over the years who have broken the hearts of Cowboys fans. Is Jordan Love going to get his first taste of breaking the parts of the Dallas Cowboys in this game? Unfortunately not. Uh, rooting for it, honestly, but I, I think this team is complete on the Cowboys side, defense, offense, even special teams. I think this is the year they make a little run. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this game is in hand pretty early. That's just the way I'm seeing it going. I think the inexperience at quarterback matters here. Again, Scotty, you brought that last game, two games ago, like, the experience there matters. So uh, I'm, I, that's what I'm hitting with, and, and I, I'm, I'm pretty confident in that one. Actually, out of all these games, like looking at the spreads, that one seems to me like I know the Packers' offense has been good, but I, I'm worried about Jordan Love under pressure, and I think they're going to dial it up against him. So we'll see how that one goes. Yeah, two rushers out of the backfield for for Green Bay, um, and I think he can utilize Aaron Jones in the passing game more effectively than uh, – and he's been effective during the season. Uh the way Jordan Love is playing is great. The 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 big question mark for the Packers all year has been defense. And Jair Alexander had a freak 
play that he or uh, he rolled his yeah. ankle in practice today. So we're not going to we're not sure if he's going to be playing. That's a huge loss if he's not on the field because him shading CD Lamb all day long is is going to make a, a a big difference on that defense. Um so you know if if he's if he's a go then I I'm all in on the Packers covering the spread. I would love them to win outright so they can come to San Francisco and just waltz right into the NFC Championship game. Um but I I think I'm going to take the Packers anyway cuz I think uh a, a touchdown you know which version of the are we going to get the home Cowboys. Are we going to get the Mike McCarthy game that we haven't gotten yet? Yeah. Happened last year in the divisional. I, I wouldn't be shocked if, uh, and look, we, we talked about Bill Belichick earlier. Are the Cowboys, I mean, are they like the organization looking over their shoulder and be like, hey, look, Mike McCarthy doesn't win this game. Get this guy the fuck out of here. Let's go get Bill Belichick. Like if you're going into a postseason game with that mentality, you're donezo, man. Give me the Packers. Yeah, I think the Packers defense is not good. Um, Aaron Jones did the last time they played. Oh, Vito's taking off. Safe flight, Vito. See you guys. Be good. Enjoy the weekend, everybody. Yes. Uh, we have Vito's picks here too, so we'll go over those as we uh as we continue. Um, yeah, look, I just I think the Packers are a bad football team uh defensively, and no Jair Alexander, who also hasn't really been the Jair Alexander that we're accustomed to. If they had held on to Razzle Douglas and not made that trade in season to Buffalo. You know, maybe you feel a little bit better about that secondary, but CeeDee Lamb has been a fucking monster, dude. Like he was at nine straight games, 10 straight games with a touchdown. Uh, he's, he's, I believe, leading the league in touchdowns from um, uh, the wide receiver position, second in yards. Uh, he's had just an unbelievable run here. And he's, they're basically, they did the thing that we've told them to do for years, which was like, throw the ball to CeeDee Lamb run the CD lamb play and then run it over again and run it again and run it again and run it again. And there's nothing the Packers are going to be able to do to stop it. Aaron Jones is the only player in the history of the NFL to have a four touchdown game against the Dallas Cowboys. So you always want to keep that in the back of your mind. You never know. Dak could Dak, you know, Dak's been so good this year that we really haven't had too many of those Dak Prescott mistake type moments. I don't think it happens here. I think the Cowboys are, are legitimately very good. Um, and at least for this wild card round, I don't see them, uh, you know, being in any sort of danger against the Packers. So I'm going to take the Cowboys here minus seven to cover and to cover pretty easily. Uh, up next Rams lions veto rolling with the lions at minus three. This is the hardest one to pick. Now, before I pick this game, I do want to give a shout out to my buddy, Robbie Triano, buddy. I used to work with over at, uh, at Sirius XM. He's moved to Chicago. He is a diehard Detroit sports fan. Talk about a uh, a painful existence being a, a Detroit sports fan. He texted me on Sunday during the Eagles game and just said, dude, I'm so sorry, man. I don't know what this team is doing to you. And I said, hey, you got any room on that on that Honolulu blue bandwagon that I can uh, I can drop, <laughs> jump on for the playoffs a little bit? And he said, absolutely, brother, absolutely. So obviously I'm pulling for my Eagles first and foremost, but uh, I am going to be pulling for the Lions to make some noise here in the postseason. However... The reunion game, the Matt Stafford, the the Los Angeles Rams, and this offense, and Kyron Williams, and Puka, and Cooper Cup, they are rolling their way into Detroit. Detroit dealing with injuries to Sam Laporta, Brian Branch, uh, some key members of this team who have been really good despite being rookies uh, in jeopardy. I think this game's going to be really, really, really close, Scotty. And uh, I know Vito's rolling with the Lions. Where are you rolling with it on this game? 
I think I'm leaning that way. Uh, and the big reason is because the Detroit Lions defense gives up the second lowest amount of rushing yards per game at 88, uh, 88.8 rushing yards per game uh, on 24 attempts. That's going to be huge because I've, I think that defensive line is much better than the Rams offensive line. And I think the Lions offensive line is much better collectively than the Rams defensive line. We've seen games where all you got to do is double Aaron Donald and like you're, you're typically fine. Um, it does hurt that they don't have Sam Laporta, but I think they can utilize Jameer Gibbs out of the backfield uh, as a pass catcher as well. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown on some underneath routes. And then, uh, you know, Jared Goff mixing in where he's going to get in trouble is if he, if he starts with the turnovers again, uh, but he's been pretty good about that over the past few weeks. Uh, this being at home, I don't know, man, the script was too good for the the Rams not to beat the Niners by one point last week to get this seating to yeah. go play at Detroit. And, I'm confident that the script will be uh, Matt Stafford finally wins a playoff game at Ford Field against the Detroit Lions. Give me the Rams. I'm with you, bud. And I hate doing this because I'm going to be pulling hard for the Lions. But like, I just look at this game and I go, who do you trust more, Jared Goff or Matt Stafford? And a big-time yeah. moment in a big playoff game. Now, look. Jared Goff went to a Super Bowl. Matt Stafford's won a Super Bowl, right? These guys have had playoff success in their career, so it's not to say that Jared Goff can't do it. But ultimately, I think that the biggest part of this game is who do you who do you trust to make the mistake first? Do you trust it to be Jared Goff, or you is it more likely to be Matt Stafford? Both guys have had issues with it over the course of their career. Stafford's been known to throw the bonehead interception. Um, I think the rushing yards stat, you know, part of that is like, yeah, they've been pretty good against the run and Aaron Glenn's defense has been pretty good against the run. But I think a lot of that though, Scotty is the fact that, you know, when they're up on teams, they're in shootouts, you know, and yeah. teams are throwing the ball against them because that's how teams know they can move the football against this team. You can light up this secondary and between Puka and Cooper cup and Stafford and Higby and Tutu Atwell out of the slot and Kyron Williams and pass protection, you basically get like a, you get five and a half offensive linemen every time you drop the ball back because of Kyron Williams back there. And when they want to lean on you, they've been able to do that pretty well. And I think they're going to be able to move the football. The question for me is, are we getting the Lions offense? That's just able to move the ball down the field and score at will. Cause if we do, if it turns into a shootout, then I like the lions but I just can't get that game. The Rams played against the Ravens out of my head. That game proved to me what I thought I believed early on in the season, which was that I, I believe that the Rams were a good football team. They went through a tough stretch. You guys told me that, you know, you're crazy. I said, I don't know, man. I, I kind of think they are. I talked myself out of it until that game against the Ravens. That's the best that anyone in the NFL has played against that Ravens team. You can make the argument. The Rams should have won that game and beaten the Rams. I, I really, I mean, obviously the Rams lost three games, so it's, or the Ravens lost three games. So I'm not saying, you know, those games, yes, those teams played better than the Rams. But in terms of, you know, that part of the season when the Ravens really felt like they were clicking and gelled perfectly, the Rams really, really gave it to them and they were able to lean on them. And I think they're going to be able to do that again in this game. And as much as I hate to say it, I think the Rams knock off the Lions here. I think that's our our big upset here in, uh, in round number one. So I'm going to lean with the uh with the lines here or with the rams here plus three to uh to find a way to win this one uh and that brings us to our final game the game that uh we definitely don't have to talk about because it's not important 
Uh, Eagles minus three inexplicably at Tampa Bay against the uh, the blitzingest team of uh, in all of the NFL, the team that blitzes more than anybody against the team that's the worst against the blitz in the NFL, at least one of the worst, the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, I said this before we started recording when Vita and I were talking, you know, two and a half weeks ago, we were recording this pod and I said, how on earth are the Eagles a 13 and a half point favorite against the Giants? The Eagles shouldn't be a 13 half and a half point favorite against anybody in the NFL. And now I'm saying the Eagles shouldn't be favorites against anybody in the NFL right now. The Eagles have not been a good football team. And they haven't proven it to be. And they have injuries. A.J. Brown didn't practice today. Devontae Smith coming back from an ankle injury. Uh, DeAndre Swift was sick all of last week, didn't play in last Sunday's game. Jalen Hurts with the finger. Uh, In addition to the fact that this team has just been falling apart at the seams left and right, uh, we're holding on to the hope that, you know, Big Dom comes back on the sidelines and that's going to fix things, right? Or, you know, that, you know, they're just waiting for the playoffs to turn it on. That's not going to happen. That's it's just not. And uh, and the Bucks again, their defense is going to heat up Jalen Hurts. They're going to send a ton of pressure at him, just like they did in 2021. The first time the Eagles were in the playoffs with Jalen Hurts, we're going to see the same story again. The Eagles are going to lose this game. The Eagles are going to go home and we're going to see some big changes, I think, to this Eagles offense uh, and this Eagles coaching staff moving forward into 2024. So uh, I'm taking the Bucks plus the three. I think that's if we were doing locks, that would be my lock of the week. So uh, I feel really, really strongly about that. So give me the uh, the Bucks plus three at home as home dogs to a bad football team in the Philadelphia Eagles. In three matchups against Todd Bowles and the Bucks, Jalen Hurts has a QB rating of sixty three point oh one, with three touchdown passes. Yeah, that's healthy, Jalen. You've now, got the banged up version now that I don't know if he can even grip the football properly based yeah. on the way his finger looked in the middle of that game, which he played too long in, by the way. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, I think they're going to be able to bottle him up on the ground too uh, and, and bottle up the ground game as a whole. Which they weren't able to do when they played earlier in the season, when they played week two, week three earlier in the year, DeAndre Swift it was the last hundred yard game that DeAndre Swift had. Different Bucks team. Man, I saw a graphic today that was that was talking about the uh, where teams were in week. I think it was week eight versus now. Um, all the teams that made the postseason, mm-hmm. the Bucks were four and five. Wow! After oh week ten, after week ten, and they finished nine and eight. So I, you know, and you guys finished one and five. No disrespect. Tampa Bay allows ninety five yards on the ground unless you get. DeAndre Swift rolling again like you did in that game in week two against a very different Tampa Bay defense, very different Tampa Bay team. I don't see it. Yeah. I, I just don't. A field goal, I, I would be okay with a push here if we could bet that. Um, but I like the uh I like the Bucks. Uh actually. I like the Bucks. I think if the Eagles, the... I think if the Eagles were healthy, <clears throat> it might be a different conversation. If AJ Brown we knew was fully healthy. And Jalen and Devontae and the offensive line. If we knew that all those guys were healthy, I think it'd be a totally different conversation. But they're not. Like, so in addition to the fact that they've been playing like shit for the last six weeks, they also are super banged up and the most hurt that they've been all season going into a road playoff game. Um, yeah. Yeah, I just yeah, and I you got to go deal with Vita Vea on when you're that. Which Eagles look, I mean, Jason line. Jason Kelsey, you know, he's the best center in football still. Like, I'm not worried about 
you know, the offensive line holding up. Uh, to me, it's it's it, the offensive line hasn't been the biggest problem this year. They haven't been great. They haven't been as good as they were in years past, but they certainly haven't been the biggest problem. You know, Lane Johnson, Jason Kelsey both got named to the uh, NFL players all pro team uh, this week. And then I'm assuming at least Kelsey will get named to the all pro team later on this season. So uh, the actual all pro team, it's uh, it's just look, it's the Eagles have fallen apart at the seams. And if this game goes as poorly as I think it's going to go, uh, you know, we might be sitting here this time next week talking about who the Philadelphia Eagles are looking to be their next head coach. Um, Bill Belichick. Maybe, maybe. They, uh, Schefter did say there's a dark horse. There's a dark horse cor- uh, candidate out there for uh, our team out there for Belichick to potentially. They're who, always. Who hasn't fired their team. head coach yet. Yeah. Yeah. There's always a playoff team. Like he said that and a you know, Cowboys are a prime candidate. If they lose this game. I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> McCarthy is Cowboy- out the door after this game. To go Cowboys, Eagles, yeah, there's, yeah, there's, there's going to be, I, I think there's, a, there's an argument to be made for both of those guys. And look, if this is an embarrassing loss, like I said earlier in the week, if there's one thing I know about Jeffrey Lurie during his time as the Eagles owner, he does not take lightly getting embarrassed. You know, having a bad team or a down season is one thing. Getting embarrassed is an entire other thing. And if the Eagles lose this game in an embarrassing way and the offense looks like shit and it looks just as disjointed as it has for the last six weeks, that there's a large enough sample size there for me to, to say that I would not be shocked if Jeffrey Lurie makes a decision on Nick Sirianni if this game goes as poorly as I think it will. So uh, I'm taking the Bucks. Vito riding with the birds. He's a ride-or-die guy, man. I, I give that man a lot of credit with his picks. He He picks with his heart. And uh, it got him first place in our locks pool, but it also got him last place overall with his picks. So take that for uh, for what you will. All right, that's all we got on the pod. Uh, I got to go run the dinner. My folks are in town briefly. Uh, they're on their way down to Florida, so I got to go see them. And uh, we got some football to watch this weekend, buddy. So uh, thank you to Vito for hopping on via uh, airport FaceTime Zoom link on his phone, which was hilarious. Thank you to Scotty for hopping on as always. And uh, we'll be back to recap everything uh, from week, uh, week. Oh my God, we're past the week's number. Super wild yeah, card buddy. weekend, uh, and yeah, it was force <laughs> a habit after the last you know five months, four or five months. Um, but yeah, when we come back, probably record on Tuesday. So pod might be out a little bit later. I think we want to wait until after the Eagles Bucks game to kind of get a feel for the whole week and recap. So keep an eye out for Tuesday evening and or Wednesday morning to have the next episode of the pod out. But until then, everyone have a wonderful weekend and we will be back with you next week to recap everything from Super Wildcard Weekend. And until then, take it easy, everybody.